I'm Annie Fitzsimmons. I'm your Washington Realtors Legal Hotline lawyer. And this is another video in our series entitled Perspectives on a Transitioning Market. And once again, I'm joined in the studio by Shelly Schmitz. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. And we have in the hot seat with us lender mm -hmm. Jevin Demench. Jevin, would you introduce yourself, please? Absolutely. Well, I'm Jevin Demench with Academy Mortgage, and I run the Demench team out of Southwest Washington. I started in the industry in 1998 in title and escrow and made the transition into lending in 2006 when uh, you could throw something against the wall and it would stick. And so I've been through quite a few markets, seen those shifts, and uh, would love to speak about that. And please do then. Okay. So here we are talking about the current shift, and it does sound like you've been in the business long enough to have seen shifts from both directions in the market where are we today are we are we, is this a shift is this a crash is a bubble bursting what's happening great question um and i think it all depends on who we're asking and unfortunately i believe we're listening to probably a lot of the wrong people um so as a group i think we all need to do this and have a deep breath okay. because we need to calm down about things um, it is not a crash it is a shift which happens on a regular cycle you can look back 30, 40, 50 years, you're gonna see these things happen. Because we are in an era of lots of misinformation coming from all sources, you can be in a checkout line at the grocery store and the cashier could be an expert on the economy. And it just depends on who we're listening to. And I think it's our job as industry professionals to make sure that we're getting that message out to the general public, not just our clients, but everybody out there. To let them know that no, this is not a crash. What we're talking about what happened before in 2008 and what happens now is not even closely related. It's completely different. Yeah. Okay. And Shelly, that's consistent with what you're seeing mm -hmm. also, right? Yes. yes, very much so. Okay. So <clears throat> we have seen interest rates increase. Mm -hmm. And, and our, uh, that video that we did, that Shelly and I did, uh, talking about buyers, mm -hmm. Shelly talked about the impact that some buyers are feeling where they looked at a house that they could afford six months ago and it looks different than the house that they can afford today because of the increase in interest rates. How exactly does an increased interest rate impact the buyer? Real time, on the ground. For sure. Um, saying that prices are staying the same. Um, what you're looking at is for every 1% increase of an interest rate, you lose approximately 10% of your buying power. Um, that does impact things. There was a period of time, because um, we've obviously seen rates increase from the fourth quarter of last year. Um, and then really kick off in March to where they've significantly increased in a short period of time. But during that process, I was speaking with a lot of our referral partners, a lot of brokers, a lot of classes that we were doing, and explaining if your lender is not calling you on Monday mornings to see where things have, are at from the week before, reach out to them because your buyer might not be able to be qualified for the same amount due to the increases that are, that are happening. I think it's important to look at that and have a great working relationship with the lender that you're working with for those buyers to make sure we're not doing them a disservice by not speaking about that. Having them go out and shop, get their heart set on something, and oh, by the way, you might not qualify for that anymore. But to put things in perspective, according to Freddie Mac, the average interest rate in the past 33 years was 7.7%. We went from rates in the twos to rates in the fives. And again, to be legal, I'll often mention APR rates and APR okay. together, yeah. but essentially went there. That's three percentage points that they might have gone up during that period of time. That's a potential for 30% less buying power for some buyers. 
different programs, different increases, different everything, but it's not the end of the world. There's still programs available, still ways to get into a home. Okay, so here's something then that I'm not, you're gonna have to explain to me because I don't understand how this would work. Shelly, jump in here. I love, I've always, for the last five years since I've learned of this, of this opportunity, I've, I've preached the power of the underwriting pre-approval letter. I want you to speak to that. But if, if a buyer, Shelly, if, if you counsel a buyer to go out and get an underwriting pre-approval letter, and the letter says that they are qualified at $500,000 purchase price, because that's what the letter would say, and in my experience, those letters often say that, that the letter is as good as the length of time for the credit report. So the letter might be good for 30 or 90 days, depending on the program and however long the credit report lasts. What I just heard you say, Jevin, is that on Monday, they may no longer be qualified for a $500,000. Mm-hmm. So both of you, what, what do you do in that? From a real estate broker's perspective, from a lender's perspective, how, what do you do in that? that that's crazy. Outstanding. Okay. Um, I think I would go back slightly and let you know or reiterate once again that it's about a relationship. We are in a relationship-based industry. Um, It has never become as important as as it is right now to really develop relationships with the lender, the realtor, the title insurance person, whoever that might be that's all part of the transaction. Really, really dig deep with those individuals and find out how much work they're doing on the client's behalf, what you're responsible for. So everybody's on the same page, but you're exactly right. They might qualify for less that following Monday. And that was an extreme that was used in kind of the March and April timeframe. It's gonna adjust now, and it can. If you look at sensationalized headlines, last week we saw the quickest mortgage drop since the year 2000. In the last two days, we've had a significant increase. It's all about perspective, right? But in turn, that lender, that individual needs to be on top of that. So when we as a team or we as an industry hand over a pre-qualification or a pre-approval letter to the client and the realtor, let them know they're set to go, they can shop at $500,000, 20% down conventional loan, say. In turn, they're out there shopping at that. If the market adjusts, if the interest rates adjust, the individual can put more money down to keep the interest rate the same meaning they can buy points to keep it at that level. Or if we have that conversation with the client, they can in turn say, okay, well now I'm gonna be able to qualify for 480. I can't bring any more money to the table and I'll update the realtor or whoever that might be. But it's important to have that symbiotic working relationship on all sides of the transaction now more than ever. Okay, Shelly, I want you to answer this question also, but I'm gonna ask my next question because I'm gonna forget it if I don't. So you're gonna remember my question while she answers the last one, okay? My question is, how does a, an underwriting pre-approval letter even makes sense anymore then. It doesn't, it sounds like you're saying one thing on the piece of paper, you're qualified for a 500,000 and telling the buyer, but if the rates go up, you're no longer gonna be qualified. So so we have to have a conversation again. So you hang on to that question okay. for a minute. Shelly. So Jevin is spot on with having that relationship. So when you are writing an offer and you are getting your pre-approval letter, you're not getting it 30 days before you write the offer you're calling that lender saying, we are going to be writing an offer today. Can you send me a pre-approval? And so it is more closer spot in time 
and then if that offer is then accepted within the next day or two and they go in they make their loan application hopefully they can lock in right then and that rate is there or pretty close and they're still qualified okay so to me the hotline lawyer sitting in the ivy tower not actually making money selling property that feels like something unique to a transitioning market then to, to the marketplace we're in where interest rates are are increasing because Again, I used to tell brokers all the time, if you're working with a buyer right now who hasn't found a home, which is exactly who every buyer was six months ago, uh, go out now and get that underwriting pre-approval letter. Take the time it takes to get that underwriting pre-approval letter now so that when you find the house, even you know three weeks from now, you have that letter at hand and you can say, I'm not a cash buyer, but I'm darn close because here's my underwriting pre-approval. So I need you to explain exactly what an underwriting pre-approval letter is in a minute. Um, what you just told me is that's not really in a market where the interest rates are potentially increasing that doesn't necessarily make the most sense instead you have the you've done the background work buyer to lender you have that existing relationship but you need that lender to to issue that underwriting pre-approval or some form of a pre-approval letter today rather than three weeks ago you got in your pocket you're going to give it to the seller three weeks later you need it current and fresh so the seller and the listing broker know that it really means what it says. Is that what you just said? Correct. And I'll tell you, I've always done it that way. No matter what Which market, of, the, the way of getting it the, pretty much the day or the day before you write the offer so that it is very current because rates change and then sometimes people's credit changes or income might change. And if you have a, a letter dated July 1st, you're writing your offer July 21st. That's a lot of time where things can change. And I think Jevin may, may want to jump in on some of that and say, I'm not a lender. <laughs> I just like to play one on video. <laughs> so, um, but it is so important to have as real time as you can. And I'll tell everybody, have them credit approved. So I, I honestly get confused when with the term pre-approval um, so I always tell my people, get credit approved because I don't know if pre-approval is the same with all companies. So okay. I'm like, we're going to get credit approved so that the only thing the lender needs is a property, a clear title report, and an appraisal, and we are ready to rock and roll. And we can close. If a buyer gets to that point, and then they are shopping, and they write their offer, and they get their letter, it makes it so much easier. Sellers love it. It's an easier process for everybody. But how you get there is by having a good relationship with a lender. Okay, so that is the key difference then, is what I don't want any broker to walk away from what you said hearing is your buyer wants to write an offer today, so call the lender for the first time today or yesterday. What, what you're both saying is, no, 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 you've got that established relationship. You, the buyer and the lender have been working together for a couple weeks at least, hopefully, if there's yeah. been that amount of time. And, and, and you have enough of a relationship with the lender that I can pick up the phone at 10 o'clock at night and call Jevin and say, hey, Jevin, Sally Smith, the buyer, is ready to buy a house tomorrow. Here's the price. Can you issue that letter effective today? Okay, now, then, go. With all of that okay. and all the questions I've got I think I remember the, the question. Air, okay, here we go. Um, there's really two different types of letters that um, that are accompanying an offer. There's a, there's a pre-qualification letter and a pre-approval letter. It is different for each company. 
again, relationship-based business, things like that, but as a listing agent and you get an offer that says pre-qualification or pre-approval, read the fine print, and if you do not know that lender, reach out. Now, hopefully, the lender has already called you and said my client is credit approved, has been through underwriting, whatever that might be, but if they don't, please reach out, and here's why. According to the NMLS, a pre-qualification letter. The NMLS, National not to be confused Mortgage, with the Northwest MLS. Excuse me, I should probably clarify that. National Mortgage Licensing System. Okay. It's a test that all of us have to take now to be licensed in different states. Okay. And it's a, it's a difficult test, but in turn, one of the questions on there um, talks about pre-qualification letters. According to their definition, a pre-qualification letter does not even reference a credit check. It is a conversation, similar to what we're doing here today. And I go through your finances, hopefully not on camera, and in turn go through all of that and decide, you know what, sounds pretty good, you're pre-qualified for a loan. I've asked for no paperwork, I've asked for nothing. That's scary. Some pre-qualification letters for our, our team, for example, at Academy Mortgage, we make sure there's a credit check, we've reviewed some income and asset documents, not all, but we've done a fairly good job of scrubbing that person. The pre-approval is 13 steps deeper. That's where we've actually ordered a verification of employment, verified all of the assets, gotten every page of the bank statement that we have to ask for, ask for, for firstborn children, whatever that might be that we're looking for for that loan program, and in turn, package up all of that and have it pre-underwritten. And that's what you were referencing, I believe, is that it actually goes through the process without an address attached to it. So they can really look at the client's overtime for the past two years, any derogatory items on the credit report that need to be taken care of, what is the status of those student loans that are out there that popped up on the credit report? All the question marks that might come up later on in a transaction are taken care of ahead of time. So when you, as a listing agent, get a letter and it says they're pre-approved, on the bottom, it should reference something to that extent. The, the underwriting approval is what we're talking about here. There's a difference between the letters, so it's important to reach out to that broker that lender, whoever that might be, to really determine what they've done with that client to see how strong that offer is. Okay. Reach out to them, but also brokers. This goes back to what Shelly has been saying. Brokers, you have to know the market. You have to have a foundational understanding of what you're doing enough that when you read that letter, even if it doesn't say at the top pre-qualification or pre-approval, you can read it and see what are the conditions that the lender identifies, right? Because what Shelly was referencing is if, if the conditions are limited to three, title, appraisal, and insurance, that means it's been through underwriting, right? Mm -hmm. But if it's conditioned on verifying the client, clients, the buyer's you know, assets or credit report, that is what you were referring to as pre-qualification. No underwriting, a whole lot of work has to be done before we know whether or not this buyer is really going to likely get this loan, correct? Absolutely true. Okay. So, Jevin, one, before we leave this topic, because this is now going to bug me, <laughs> what do you as a lender do? It, let's say you give me an underwriting pre-approval letter on yeah. Friday, and it says I'm qualified to buy a $500,000 house. Sure. And then the rate goes up. And on Monday, I'm only qualified to buy a $470,000 house. How do you control for that? Because now some seller, I'm going to give this letter to a seller who's sure. going to pick me as their buyer believing that I'm qualified, and it's not going to be true. Correct. What, how do you as a lender guard against that? I believe in any reputable lender will build in a slight margin with that. You're going to have different property taxes for each property. You might have different insurance amounts. Um, you're going to have different pricing 
as far as the offer amount that they're looking to go in with on that specific listing. So every time that we're doing a pre-approval, and I'm saying we as an industry, I would hope the majority of us are building in a little bit of an increase in interest rate potential there. So as we're talking about going into a weekend and I'm getting a call from Shelly or one of the agents and, and they say, looking at some homes this weekend, are we still okay in this 500 range, this and that? I will always buffer an interest rate an eighth to a quarter just to be sure there's room in case something okay. crazy happens throughout the weekend. When we're issuing pre-approval letters as an industry, I feel that most lenders are doing a very good job of not saying this is down to the penny the most this client can afford. Okay. They're allowing for a little bit of a variance there. Okay. Mm -hmm. And likewise, although we did see the Fed raise the rates by mm -hmm. three quarters of a point, that's not also that's also not normal. So that's not something that you probably factor into most of the letters that you write. It, it's not, but another misconception out there, I will, I will get calls from clients quite a bit after those meetings of the Fed, which seem to mm -hmm. happen a lot more lately. Right. And the calls will come in, oh my gosh, they raise interest rates three quarters. Those are short-term interest rates. They're different than long-term, which is what we deal with on a daily basis. Okay. The last two times the Fed has actually raised interest rates by 0.75%, the last two meetings he's had, interest rates for us went down. Really? Yes. So there's not so there, there's a correlation there with everything happening in the economy, inflation, different things like that. There's a multitude of factors, but it does not necessarily constitute an increase in, in long-term interest rates. Okay. All right. Well, I just learned something. That's I know. Good. Me too. <laughs> um, all right. So here's what I've heard you say so far. Sky's not falling. We're going to deep breaths. Mm -hmm. Perspectives, everybody, right? Brokers, keep perspective on where this market is. Brokers, help your clients, help your buyers to understand that there's an importance for perspectives. Build these relationships. Before we leave this conversation, can you educate us a little bit about what your industry is doing in reaction to the transitioning market with respect to offering solutions? What new types, and, and I, don't, I don't need for you to necessarily speak to your firm in particular, but generally speaking, what types of loan programs are buyers likely to be able to take advantage of today that they didn't even need to take advantage of when the rates were at 2%? Sure, great question. Um, I, I would say what's, what's happening is that we're not having a lot of new loan programs come into the market. They're coming back into fashion. <laughs> they, they've been here. Um, who wants to look at an arm or an adjustable rate mortgage when rates are in the twos and your arm's in the twos? It doesn't make a whole lot of fiscal sense. But now that we have rates creeping up slightly, and again, far below the historical average, but going up, and, it, and our adjustable rate mortgage becomes more appealing. And so in turn, that is where a buyer will have a lower payment at the onset of the loan than they will say three, five, seven, or 10 years down the road. It helps get them over the hump, helps make them more comfortable with getting into the home. We have programs like 2-1 buy-downs that were very prevalent years ago that I haven't written one in probably three years, to be honest, or my team, but we're getting questions about them now, and we're talking about them now because it gives, and it, let me give an example of what that loan program looks like, and I'm gonna use round numbers here. So say rates are about 5% today. The day that you get in the home, your interest rate is 3% for the first year. The second year? That's what the 2-1 buy-down is. That's a 2-1 buy-down, buy yes. Okay. So the first year, 3%. The second year, 4%. And the entirety of the loan from there until it's, it's consummation in 30 years, it would be at 5%. So in turn, it helps you get in the home, helps you have a more comfortable payment. But the difference with these programs now and how they're underwritten 
compared to what we had in the, uh, the heyday of 2006, is that we are qualifying, as an industry, borrowers on the fully indexed, the, the full rate for the length of the term. What we did before, as an industry, is that we will qualify that borrower on, say, the introductory rate, the 3% rate, whatever that would look like, knowing that full well rates are gonna go ahead and they're gonna be fine, they're gonna make more money in their jobs, it, you know, the home prices are gonna increase 20% year over year for eternity, things like that, no, no basis in reality. Nowadays, that's, that's not happening. So in turn, if somebody says, oh my gosh, we have these loan programs coming back, they're underwritten differently. It is not what it used to be. That's why we're not setting ourselves up for a crash. Hallelujah. It's an adjustment, yes, to shift. Okay. So if somebody wants, I mean, I love what you just said. I, yeah. I want a 3% interest rate instead sure. of a 5% interest rate, yeah. but I'm going to pay for that up front, right? You are. You are. There's, there's different costs, again, depending on the institution you're looking at, whether it's a big bank, a broker, a correspondent lender, whoever that might be. There's different fees and costs associated with each loan that's out there. Think of it this way. Everything in lending is based on risk. So if somebody is doing 100% financing, meaning you as a buyer have no skin in the game, then your interest rate is obviously going to be higher, okay, versus somebody with 20% down. It's the same with different loan programs that are out there. If it's a riskier loan program, you're going to pay for it one way or the other. There's no way of getting out of that. Nothing in life is free. Okay. So. But, Shelly, you said in a prior video, sellers, you need to be prepared for a different negotiation today. So is, is this 2-1 buy-down, the, the money that buyer's going to have to spend on that up front, is this something that you would expect at least for the potential that buyer's yes. gonna ask seller to pay? Yes, as a matter of fact, I was just thinking of that when Jevin was talking, I'm thinking this could be something that a buyer proposes to a seller. So, you know, seller, would you mind paying this fee so I can get in at this rate and I will buy your home at that rate. One thing it could do for a seller is get the price or closer to the price that the seller wants ah. if they're able to help the buyer get in maybe at a rate that they want. So there could be a give and take there. So it's a win-win for both sides. Okay, and it also re-emphasizes the importance of brokers understanding not only the brokerage industry, but you gotta now have some basic understanding of the lending industry so that when as a listing broker I get an offer where the buyer is asking my seller to pay their upfront costs on a 2-1 buy down, I know what that means, mm -hmm. right? And I can explain that to my seller. Jevin, if you're dealing with loans that you haven't seen for the last two or three years, here's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that underwriters and processors in your office are gonna have to figure out these the requirements of this program as they go through, and we may need, we, that means Shelly, may need, as a brokerage industry, to build in some time for delay in the closing process. True or not true? True. I don't want to sound like a politician and say depends, but I will say true. <laughs> um, and, and by that, I mean it depends on the institution that you're looking at working with. There's some that are very nimble in markets like this, some that adjusted very well to when the increase happened in business in April of 2020 to where it is now. But you don't have institutions, and I'm an, I, I will not name names, but I'm, we all watch the news or hear about these things occasionally, 30% layoffs, 40% layoffs, things like that. As an industry as a whole, we are downsizing. There's gonna be some consolidations. There's gonna be things like that that naturally happen in a shifting market. The sky is not falling. We had a 20%, sorry, excuse me, 21% increase in loan officers nationwide in 2020. 
they're, they're expecting 30 to 40% decrease the end of this year, starting with the fourth quarter and into 2023. That's only a 20% decrease, okay? If you look at it from a couple years ago. But in turn, when you're having these increases and these fluxes, companies have to adjust. 30 days would be wonderful if all institutions could adhere to that timeline to get loans closed in a timely fashion, things like that. That is not the case with everybody. So in turn, reach out as a listing agent or when you have an offer or when you have a buyer come in with a lender you might not have heard of them, XYZ out of Kentucky, let's have a little conversation with this person to find out what their timelines are. Are you familiar with this program? Is 30 days reasonable? There's nothing worse than setting false expectations up front, okay? I'd much rather tell somebody, haven't done this for a while, let's do a 45-day close and hopefully we can close in 30. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But I would be prepared as an industry going forward for a lot of institutions to have a, have a bit of a delay. One more question before, this is the last question on my mind, so Shelly, if there's anything that was left out, jump in. Uh, as we've talked about those fluctuating interest rates in this market, I'm a buyer, I come into your office and you say, wow, rates just took a, took a, took a dive. It was, the, it was the rates following the, <laughs> the Fed hike and yeah. not the last yeah. two days that you talked about. And I say, okay, well then I want that rate and I'm afraid it's gonna go up. I want a lock. And I do. And then I had build in this 45 day closing and on day 28, the rate drops. Mm -hmm. Jevin, now I'm not very happy. I would imagine not. Can you, make, can you make me a happy buyer? I will do my best. Okay. Right. So, and as an industry as a whole, I'll just speak to that. We've come out with some pretty nice solutions. Um, the past 20 years or so that I've been, I've been doing this, regular lock periods, meaning that you secure your interest rate um, attached to that property address have been a period of 10 days, 15 days, 30 days, 45 days, and 60 days. Again, everything in lending is risk-based. The longer you lock, the higher your rate's gonna be. It could be fractions of an eighth of a percent, but it, but it, will, be, it will cost more than if a lender's securing it for, say, 10 days, okay? When things started to shift, again, they brought, up, brought back as an industry 90-day locks. Okay, a little bit more time there. Okay, maybe some new construction, we're getting close to the finish of the home, we wanna make sure and secure everything before it goes up even further. But now we've come out with solutions called lock and shop, which is pretty unique. Not every institution has it, some out there do. I would encourage you who are watching this video to reach out to your relationship-based lender that you have and find out if they actually offer this. That's where- Is everybody generically gonna to refer to it as lock and shop? They will, okay. they will. All right. So Jelly, for example, you're out there buying a home and in turn, you've been watching the news and you've been seeing interest rates go up, at least on the news, essentially. Pretty nervous about that. You wanna sleep at night, but you still wanna buy a house. So in turn, you call up your lender and hopefully you call up Jevin DeVinci and, and in turn, that lender says, you know what, Shelly, let's offer, let's talk about a lock and shop to where you can actually secure an interest rate now for 90 days, say. And every institution's different with their time frame, but 90 days, say. And in turn, you can shop for a home. And if you're under contract during that period, we're gonna honor that rate up front. Okay. For new construction, you find a home, you want it built, and, a, and a, say the, the builder can build it in 12 months, which is pretty outstanding. And they in turn say, okay, here's our deadline. You say, great, Devin, what can I do about interest rates? Because I'm worried I can't afford this home nine months from now if rates keep on going up. Don't worry, we'll do an extended lock, okay? That's an industry standard as well, both those terms. Now, you say, great, Devin, this is not like the stock market. 
I want to know that if my rate, if the rates drop, and I can actually secure a lower rate. It is specific to the institution, but the majority of them will offer what's called a renegotiation, where you actually get to renegotiate with that lender and say, I want the best of both worlds. I want to know that I have security of being locked in for that extended period of time, but I also can take a lower rate if the market improves dramatically. Now, if rates are at five, say, APR at five, and they drop to APR at four, okay? Are you gonna realize that 1% savings as a buyer? Probably not. The institution is not just gonna give away loans at that period of time because they have secured that rate with an investor, whoever that might be, and promised them essentially that based on our working relationship, we're gonna deliver a loan at 5%. So now they're going back to them and saying, well, just kidding. How about four and a half, something like that? So you as a buyer say, okay, I see rates have dropped a full point, where can we meet? And usually speaking, as an industry, we'll meet in the middle, and we'll find that. So there are solutions. To and that doesn't people. cost the buyer anything? It, 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 using your example, I'm locked at five, sure. rates drop to four, we're going to meet in the middle at four and a half, but mm -hmm. I'm not going to have to pay you a renegotiation fee or something mm -hmm. associated with that, or I am? It depends on the institution. Okay. But I will say that 90% of the time, and the ones I'm aware of, because there's always 10% I'm not aware of out there, do not charge for that. I have no fear. As a buyer, yes. I have no fear with fluctuating rates with what you just shared. Yes. Yeah. And that's the, and the premise behind it. As an industry as a whole, we all need to be on the same page trying to offer solutions to these people and that collective deep breath. It's going to be okay. So these are nice, nice services to be able to offer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that too. Yeah. All right. All right. The, the theme that has emerged for me from this discussion is deep breaths. <laughs> Perspective, solutions. Yes. Mm -hmm. yep. I love it. Anything else? Well, I just have to say this because Jevin has it unless he wants to take this line, but I'm going to say be married to the home and date the rate. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to end the lending segment. <laughs> That's perfect. Great and, summarization. And just tell us exactly what you mean by that. So love the home. You're going to be in it for quite some time. But the rate, it's going to change. You're going to do a refi or you're going to sell the home at some point. You won't even be in that rate anymore. The next time you get a loan, it will be a different rate. So don't base all of your decisions on buying a home based on that one number of interest rate. Really love the home. It's your home. Love that home. Be married to it. Date the rate. You can get rid of it later. Okay, good thing you're not on the couch for marriage counseling. <laughs> no. But for real estate brokerage practices, I can't imagine a better a better parting slogan. Mm -hmm. uh, Jevin, anything else before we say goodbye? That was perfect. I'll, I'll end with that. <laughs> okay, okay, great. If you have questions on this topic or any other, visit warealtor.org, click the link for the legal hotline, and ask me a question. If I can't answer it, I know who I can go to to get the information. Thank you for being a Washington Realtors member.